0: through this question with us today on abounding grace
1: looking at where you are the word of the lord to you today is what are you doing here oh he's not speaking of being in a church building or being tuned in on a broadcast he's not asking you about your physical location although some of you that may be true i believe this is a spiritual question of the condition of your life what are you doing here is it a cave have you isolated yourself is it the cave of compromise? What are you doing here?
0: This is amazing great. had an awesome Christmas celebration and glad you could join us for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly and we'll be picking up where we left off Friday in 1 Kings. If you'll recall, Elijah had just defeated 400 false prophets and fire came down from heaven. Talk about a great victory. But right on the heels of this came great discouragement. It happened to Elijah and it can happen to us. So let's see together how God wants to meet us when we're down in a very special way. Here's Pastor Ed in 1 Kings
1: 19. Elijah's a man like us, experiencing great power, but now great despair. Notice verse four. So quick too. We're not talking years here, we're talking moments. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat, this is verse four, down under the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals. This guy's always getting food delivered to him. (laughs) And a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey's too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Jezebel, the shrewd manipulator that she was, no doubt saw the vulnerability in Elijah's life. He was at a vulnerable time. He was mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. We read chapter 18 and study half the chapter in 40 minutes. But it, did, it took a lot longer than 40 minutes for this all to go down. And it took a lot longer than 40 minutes for him to slay 400 prophets. And it took him a lot longer to rest and recuperate. And he's at a weak point in his life as much as he's at a strong point because he's still human. And she recognizes the weakness and takes advantage of it. Just like the enemy, just like the devil himself, she takes advantage of a man's weakness to attempt to utterly destroy him. You don't need to read ahead, but I'm going to let you know, she doesn't succeed. Can I get an amen on that? Because the devil's not going to succeed for you either. In your weak time, in your weak moment, even if someone is the tool in the enemy's hands to try to utterly destroy you by faith, you're going to make it. By faith, you're going to make it all the way to the end. Why? Because the Bible promises, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's the truth. So here he is. Elijah has demonstrated for over three years now his commitment to hear from God, seek God, and obey God. But so quickly, he's running ahead of the Lord in order to save his own physical life. The moment and the emotion and the fear got the best of him. And we just, we need to take consideration of that, that those things can get the best of us too. It doesn't make you a bad believer, it just makes you a vulnerable one. The difficulties in life, they just weaken our resolve, sometimes fill our minds with thoughts, and then the onslaught of the enemy to throw lies at us and accuse us, and there are times when we just believe the lie. It's what got in trouble, it's what got even trouble. So got Adam in trouble. They believed the lie and acted on that lying belief. But mark this, when we get out of God's will, we're prone to do all kinds of dumb, sinful, stupid things. That's quotable. That's tweetable right there. When we get out of God's will, we're prone to do all kinds of dumb, sinful, and stupid things. Abraham did it. David did it. Moses, Peter, and on the list goes. The combination of emotional tiredness, weariness, hunger, and a deep sense of fear and failure, along with faithlessness, brought Elijah into a deep depression. So deep that he wanted to end his own life. Really, he wanted God to end his life. But he's right in that place. He's right in that place. Of wanting to see it all end. And so Elijah, he heads off, it says in verse 4, a day's journey, which is a long time to talk to yourself a day in a weak moment. Because you know, when you isolate yourself, the Bible says you're not wise. It's what the Proverbs say, a man that isolates himself is not wise. And when you isolate yourself, you only have, and you're not really in the spirit, you're not talking to God, you're talking to yourself. Yourself to talk to during a weak time is not the best person to talk to. You don't counsel yourself wisely. You don't encourage yourself, at least not in the outset. I mean, David got to that place where he finally encouraged himself in the Lord. So it's possible, but, but man, you take a day's journey and you got, you got your head on the platter and you're thinking about victory and whoa, what about the victory and now she's after me. A day's journey is a long time to talk to yourself about the difficulties that you're feeling and, and you're able to exaggerate the reality of the situation even worse than it is. And so he goes a day's journey into the wilderness, he finally the rests under a tree, and his prayer was, "I had enough. I just want to die." Just I'm no better than my father's." And he has forgotten the victory so quickly. As he's laid there in verse five, he finds that there's food there. There's food for him to eat. He's laying there, an angel is sent, touches him and tells him, "You've got to eat." Get up and eat. It's wonderful, isn't it? God spreads a table before, right before Elijah, just like the Bible says in Psalm 23, verse 5. Remember? Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Elijah's experiencing this. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Elijah eats and is able, just by this simple act of obedience, he's able to travel 40 days on this little cake. And you're like, what was that cake? (laughs) You know, it reminds us of the manna. It reminds us of the manna where every day what was in that manna was enough to sustain the children of Israel, every part of their necessity nutritionally. And they were able to eat it. Then the manna reminds us of who? Jesus, where he spoke of being the manna. And he's our sufficiency. It's a beautiful picture here. One commentator summarizes it this way. When you review God's ministries to Elijah, recorded in Kings 18 and 19, you'll see a parallel to the promise in Isaiah 40:31. For three years, the prophet had been hidden by God, during which time he waited on the Lord. And when the Lord sent him to Mount Carmel, he enabled Elijah to mount up with wings as eagles and triumph over the prophets of Baal. After Elijah prayed and it began to rain, the Lord strengthened him to run and not be weary. And now he sustains him for 40 days so he could walk and not faint. Elijah wasn't wholly living in the will of God, but he was smart enough to know that he had to wait on the Lord if he expected to have the strength for ministry and for the journey that lay before him. So powerful. Verse 9. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah. And he said, I've been very jealous, or excuse me, zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah finally settles down in a cave, from the mountaintop to a cave, alone, waiting on the Lord, processing his feelings and his thoughts, willing to give up everything, And the word of the Lord to Elijah was, what are you doing here? Echoes of the Garden of Eden. Where are you, Adam? He asked the same thing to Elijah with just a little bit of different phrasing. What are you doing here? I believe that's the word of the Lord to some today. Looking at your life, looking at the condition of your life, looking at where you are, the word of the Lord to you today is, what are you doing here? Oh, he's not speaking of being in a church building or being tuned in on a broadcast on television or online or even having your radio tuned in. He's not not asking you about your physical location, although some of you that may be true. I believe this is a spiritual question of the condition of your life. What are you doing here? Is it a cave? Have you isolated yourself? Is it the cave of compromise? What are you doing here? is it the cave of unbelief what are you doing here is it the cave of isolation what are you doing here is it the cave of fear what are you doing here is it the cave of disobedience what are you doing here and it's a good question to ask because yeah he answers it his heart is revealed man i've lived my life for you they've turned their back on you it's almost as if he's saying this is my reward I've defeated 400 prophets in your name by faith. And here I am in a cave running away from Jezebel. It's almost like you can hear what's not being said here, what's often in our thoughts. It's almost like you can hear Elijah say, I've been so zealous. Why is she getting away with this? And yet God doesn't play any of that. Whatever is being said or unsaid, we know exactly what's been recorded for us. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel, the whole nation has forsaken you and your covenant, torn your altars down, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. That phrase, I alone am left. Answer me, is that true, yes or no? No, it's not true. We know from the text it's not a true statement. But did he believe it to be true? You bet. That's where he was. That's the space that he was in. He believed it was true. And that was the kicker for him. I alone. It's just me. I'm the only one facing this. I'm the only one going through this. Nobody understands. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But it's real. It's real. Some of you have been there. You wish you could laugh in times like that, but they're not laughable moments, are they? They're very scary. They're they're very concerning. And he does something that's very wise. He's honest with God. You can be honest with God in your prayer life, church. You can be honest with God. You don't have to have any kind of flowery, perfect King James language. You know, even when you're breaking up in groups, it's, it's so encouraging to see so many more people come and join us to pray. As God is beginning to stir up in our fellowship more desire, a deeper desire to pray and to see God gathering us. When you're in a group, it's okay to be honest. Yeah, but Ed, what if they laugh at me? Who cares? Fear God, not man. And if they laugh at you, it's a discipleship moment. Hopefully, there's another uh, mature brother in that group or sister that can take that brother or sister aside and say, hey, look here. We're real when it comes to God. We're not fake. And that brother's going through something. And what they don't need is a laugh. They need support. They need encouragement. And everything's a discipleship moment. You can be real. Maybe it's just in your prayer closet. And you, you, know, you might even feel bad saying, feeling, you know, telling God, I feel alone. Like you're like, I should, I'm, I've been walking with the Lord long enough. I shouldn't be feeling that. No, you can be honest. It's like when you think, God, I'm doing great, God. And God's, oh, okay. I was kind of, I thought you weren't. But now, now I know. You know, I thought you needed a cake for 40 days, but let me take that cake back, you know. And a raven just soups in and takes your cake. No, God knows. The Bible says everything is naked and open before the eyes of he who sees. It's not, that's not, you you and I don't hide anything from God. And I know we get a little uncomfortable with people, but Elijah forever, eternally, because God's word is eternal in heaven, forever Elijah is known as a person that ran to the caves and was feeling alone. Right after he defeated 400 false prophets and fire came down from heaven and the oil didn't end and the flour didn't end and the kid was brought back from the dead, that's that Elijah, it's the same guy, is now in the caves by himself, physically, with the Lord there to encourage him. The good news is, is that he doesn't stay in the caves even though he feels alone he doesn't stay there. I want to save the rest of the chapter for our next time, but it's enough it's enough to see in verse 11. Then he said, "Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord." And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came down to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? After all of the the activity supernaturally, the still, small voice... The voice of the Lord asks him the same question a second time. What are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah changes his answer. Verse 14, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He changed it not a bit. This is where he's at. It's almost like it's rehearsed. He started over and over and over again, and the Lord said to him, "'Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, "'and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria.' Also, you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I alone am left. That's what Elijah saw and felt. But the truth was there were 7,001 Elijahs, 7,001. He was not alone, and he definitely wasn't as alone as he thought he was. God says, I've reserved, I've kept. And and I wonder, I wonder how many times Elijah's story was used by God to encourage someone else. Maybe one of those 7,000. Oh, you know, I'm and he's like, you got to check out my boy Elijah. This guy's amazing. He's going through it right now, but he's over in a cave. So you're not alone. There's 6,999, and then that guy, Elijah, he's in the cave. Everything's going to be fine. And that's why coming together as a body of believers is so encouraging. Even if you're in here today and you would say to me, Ed, I don't know a single person in this room. I want to tell you something. You don't need to know a single person in this room tonight because God would just encourage you to say, Hey, I've reserved a lot more people just like you. You're not alone in this city. And you're not alone in your sadness. And you're not alone in your grief. And you're not alone in your fear. You're not alone. That the Lord is with you. And you don't have to have. You don't have to have all the answers. And you don't have to have all the issues answered. You don't have to have everything in line. You don't have to. You can be confident. And you can be strong. And you can know that you're not alone. Now, you can know that. You can know that on the radio, and you can know that on the internet, but there's nothing like being next to a warm body, worshiping the Lord, studying the Bible, praying together, taking communion together to remember that you're a part of a much larger family than what you think today. And so Elijah is here, and God's response to this time in Elijah's life was to have him stand up and pay attention. And the Lord passes by in his power and his glory, and then came a strong wind that broke the rocks, and a strong earthquake that shook the ground, and came a dramatic fire. But after that it was in the still small voice that God came, a gentle whisper by which the Lord met his faithful servant. I don't want to go into depth here, but I want you to remember I want to remember Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Jesus comes to their house. Martha's in the kitchen rattling the pans, doing what any normal person would do. Hey, how would you feel if I told you Jesus was coming to your house? Because I know whenever the house starts getting cleaned up, a guest is on the way. (laughs) I already know that. Sometimes I know who the guest is, and sometimes I want to ask who the guest is, but I know this. If there's cleaning going on, somebody's coming over. And I'm always like, wait a minute. Why can't they just see us and come to our house how we live? Oh, it's too dirty. It's too dirty. <laughs> and that's fine. I get it. So I understand Martha. She's, she's a servant. She wants to get into the kitchen, take care of business. I get that. But Jesus told us in that small episode, Jesus told us that Mary chose the good part. While Martha was in the kitchen serving, Mary was down at the feet of Jesus And I was always reminding, in order for Jesus to get Martha's attention, he would have to at least speak in a regular voice, maybe even a voice raising his tone a little bit to get her attention. But for Mary, she could have heard him if he decided to whisper. That's how close she was. And so they become a picture, more than just the essence of the, the event, they become a picture to us that what was the good part? Well, Mary certainly chose to be close in worship, but I think there's, a, there's something here where we have, have with Elijah where she was close enough that even if he chose to whisper, she could hear. So we end here. Is your life so cluttered? is your life so loud? Is your life so busy? Is your life so caught up in emotion and drama and difficulty that if God decided to bring an earthquake and bring the rock shattering and you think, oh, God's in all the activity, and are you so busy that you would miss the still, small voice of the Lord? The one that is a whisper. The one that He draws you in close. You moms and dads, you know there are those times and grandmas and grandpas, you know as well. Those are those times when you draw your kids so close and you bring them up into your lap, you place them on your chest, and you don't scream at them when they're that close. You don't put your your hand on their ear and scream so they can hear you. You take it down a notch, don't you? And you begin to whisper and gently speak, gently cradle, gently rock, You know, the Lord wants to do a work like that in your life and mine, to draw you and me so close that his voice, he doesn't have to yell, he doesn't have to scream, he doesn't have to bring broken rocks or earthquakes, although he could do that to get our attention, but just to give you a still, small voice, just to whisper those beautiful truths, how much he loves you, how he hasn't given up on you. He's not yelling at you as you're running away from him, He's not yelling at you when you wanna turn your back on him, but rather he's drawing you near. And then you respond because the Bible says that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And he brings you up close. He brings you up to the place where he begins to whisper how much he loves you. He says, oh daughter, have you forgotten that I love you? Look to the cross. Oh son, has that little trinket and bauble in the world, has that gotten your attention? Am I not enough for you anymore? And he just begins to affirm his love for you and affirm his care for you. And he may ask you the same question he's been asking you for a while. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And we'll leave that there. We'll develop it next time a little more, this event at the rocks. But let the Lord, let us leave with just remembering God's faithfulness and his goodness And I quote it all the time. If you want the address, it's 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself.
0: Well, we've been looking at the book of 1 Kings today on Abounding Grace. Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor of Calvary Church, Colorado. You can catch what you may have missed online at calvaryaurora.org. You can also listen on iTunes or through our app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. This month, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy. It's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the biggest story in history. Is there credible evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Lee asks and answers the sort of questions a skeptic would pose. What will be your verdict in The Case for Christ? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but it is important that we hear from you as this year draws to a close. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, that's okay. You can still voice your support by just letting us know you listen, and that would be huge. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to CalvaryAurora.org. That's 877 30 Grace. Or write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado 80013. Glad you've taken time out for our study in First Kings. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is
1: amazing grace.
0: Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado